0: What's up gumbo listeners Demetrius Malbro here with another data protection gumbo episode and the title of this one is the digital gold rush uncovering the 100 year archive and to drop some knowledge for us today i have eric basier on who is senior director of products at quantum and eric leads product and technical marketing at quantum he has over 18 years of experience designing managing and marketing enterprise storage products and also his writing has appeared in wired business solutions data center post data center knowledge and much more. So, Gumbo listeners, Eric will be breaking down one of the most exciting topics happening in the backup and recovery market right now. And that's the ability to archive data forever. Yes, data forever. So, most importantly, um, also how to recover that data efficiently utilizing today's leading technologies like erasure coding, artificial intelligence and machine learning and also analytics. So why do I call this a digital gold rush, you might ask? Well, you have to listen to the episode to find out why. So let's get right to it. Enjoy the show, Eric. Uh, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Um, thanks a lot for having me on a, as a guest on the show and looking forward to our discussion.
0: OK, fantastic. Let's go ahead and jump right into some of the questions that I have. And I've actually been following Quantum for for some time now, and I've recently stumbled upon. Uh, looks like what what you've been talking about a lot on your side is this term called forever forever. Archives. Tell us a little bit about what Forever Archives are and why are you guys talking about it so much right now? Yeah,
1: it's a a cliche kind of term or marketing term, but um, for for many years, uh, we've been uh, serving customers that are in industries like uh, media and entertainment, you know, federal government agencies that are uh, storing and maintaining digital imagery research institutions that are keeping research data and we're starting to realize that in for many of these customers and for many of these data sets you know those digital assets are their most valuable assets of the business and we're kind of seeing this even right now i think with with covid that it's sort of accelerated a almost a you could say kind of a new economy for the 21st century that's driven by digital data. And for several years now, our customers have been expressing this concern or challenge around, this is not data that I need to keep for seven years, and then I can get rid of it. This is more than data. You know, these are assets, these are, in some cases, cultural artifacts and things like that, that they really need to think about how do they keep it for decades, if not, you know, centuries. And I I think I'll I'll give you some examples just because I think it's a really uh, fascinating topic. Um, One of our customers is uh, Major League Baseball Networks, and um, they have a very large archive. And most of the content in the archive is Uh, you know, video images, right, footage from games, and even old photographs. And I was talking to one of the guys at Major League Baseball Networks, and, you know, they have images from the late 1800s that they want to preserve for, you know, forever, basically, right? I mean, customers are using this term. Um, The other example where we have a lot of customers is in media entertainment. And, you know, you think about the original, digital footage of blockbuster movies or you know movies that we just loved as kids or whatever from you know Walt Disney and Lucasfilm and and all this and you know they how long how long do you have to keep the original footage of Star Wars right so this is a problem that's kind of been in media and entertainment I would say for you know 15 or more years they've been thinking this way and now you have all these other types of unstructured data sets Scientific research data, healthcare and patient records, MRI images, genome sequences. Right? If if we you know get our own kind of genome sequence, where I, I think what binds the the characteristics of that together a little bit are you know this is all data that's being generated by some device. It has some period in its life cycle where. It's very actively worked on, it's analyzed, it, you know, requires very high performance. And then it needs to be archived for, you know, forever in some cases.
0: And is that typically like after like the 90 day mark or like, what's, what's the date? When does it go from being backup? up data to like an archive data is there like a set retention on that or a set time period you
1: know it depends on the use case it depends on kind of the the workflow in some ways and I think
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know I I've I, I and and quantum I mean we we come from a background where we've sold backup storage for many many years right one of the long time leaders in tape and you know we, we have backup appliances and I think that this this idea of like retention periods or you know kind of a fixed time frame like that is I think that notion is changing. You may have a um, autonomous vehicle, a test vehicle that produces terabytes and terabytes of unstructured data every day, and it has this period of maybe only a week or so where it needs to. There's some hill and sill simulations that are run against it, and then it's moved into the archive. But then maybe a week later, it needs to be brought back from the archive because they want to modify an algorithm and send another test car back out, right? And so the the life cycle of these data sets is becoming much more complex. We're, we're seeing that a lot of this type of big unstructured data, a lot of the type of data that requires a forever archive, you know, it's created on the edge, right? It's created somewhere not in a data center, and then it has some period of time where it gets, as we said, analyzed and processed and everything, and then it gets moved into the archive. And, you know, that might be in the cloud, that might be in a data center, it might be some combination of the two. So I think the life cycle is um, more complex. And um, I'll say one other thing, which is um, I've, I've had some customers say recently that there's this, an older way of thinking, kind of a HSM way of thinking is kind of that the value of data decreases over time, right? And there's probably some truth to that as we think about very big archives. But I think people are finding that the, the value of the data in the archive is somewhat unpredictable or nonlinear, right? I mean, it may become very valuable very quickly. It's like the data in the archive is not valuable until it is, right? And then you, then you need to get it back and process it and analyze it. So It's one of the challenges we're seeing emerge in terms of how to build and and manage these unstructured data sets across their life cycle.
0: Yeah. And uh, Eric, you you really took me back when you just threw out that term uh, acronym HSM, hierarchical storage management. You know, it's one that. I I never really wrapped my head around it. I tried to implement it a few times when I was a TSM administrator, and oh yeah, HSM it it leaves around, it saves tons of space, and you can leave stub files that point to the actual file, and yada 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 yada. But I don't think it ever truly really caught on, and maybe that's just with some products. Um, but but yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I haven't had a conversation around HSM in a long time. But uh, I think what you've shared thus far is, is fascinating around uh, just Forever Archive. Kind of going a little bit deeper, though, when you think about Forever Archives, what are some of the biggest technical challenges and, and some of the considerations around it?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's there are a lot of new technologies and architectures and kind of components of a hundred year archive that I think people need to consider. The first is that we are starting to see object storage with erasure coding be kind of the preferred form of how to protect data for a long time. You know, we're seeing object storage being deployed in a number of different use cases. Uh, In some cases it's with a, a backup application and it's kind of used for compliance reasons. But we think that keeping data and storing data in an object format And using erasure encoding as a technique to kind of make multiple copies of the data effectively, right? And do that really efficiently. We think that's a key technology for kind of storing data and and building 100-year archives, right? I think the other kind of place we're starting from a little bit is there are different um, storage mediums to consider. Flash, disk, tape, you know, we are... I mean, we can talk a little bit more about tape and and a lot of people are looking at the cloud as well. You know, there are cloud services that kind of are are marketed as long-term archive services, but fundamentally the storage technologies being used by the big public cloud vendors are, you know, the same options to anyone managing a data center, right? It's kind of like flash hard drive and tape. So um, we think all of those will play a role in kind of building hundred year archives.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, you you mentioned tape. And I I remember when tape went through that stage where, um, because I used to work for EMC uh, a while ago and long live the EMC campaigns of tape is dead. And those were fun times when when, when you could actually throw out a tagline like that and uh, it actually gains a little bit of steam. So there was a point where, you know, we thought backup administrators were looking at tape as being a part of the problem because, you know, you have these errors and you try to recover a file and sometimes you're not able to recover a file. And then there's the, the actual response time of recalling a tape from a place like Iron Mountain. Um, and so it just added to the uh, recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives uh, from their perspective. But today it does still hold a place in uh, primarily like around air gapping solution from a security perspective. And also the cost of, of tape is still... You know, very very effective. So, more about the one uh, hundred year archive. I guess that's what forever archive is as well. You know, wh- where is quantum headed uh, in this particular area, Eric? Yeah,
1: I mean, well, one of the things that kind of where we're headed is uh, it goes to some of your comments on on tape there. Um, you know, m- many years ago we sold a lot of tape for backup and really tape is not necessarily a great fit for backup. I mean, if you think about a typical backup process, you you said, I mean, you said it exactly right. Someone's backing up data to tape and then they need to take the tapes out of the library. So they're handling it, right? And then they would send it off site and they have a need to probably keep that data for, you know, seven years, right? By because of Sarbanes Oxley or some other compliance regulation they have. But once those backup sets have reached that expiration date, they can, you know, recycle the tapes or delete that data, right? In that paradigm, people, technicians have to go touch the tapes. They get put in a box. They get shipped in a truck. I mean, no one likes to handle tapes. And also that can lead to, you know, degraded reliability and things like that. And so I I think where the markets move for backup it really is moving away from tape for backup and i think that's probably appropriate what we're what we're seeing is you know the archive process is a little different and in the use case of tape there's kind of a different paradigm where one we we kind of start with most of the forever archives most of that data is large unstructured data sets right it's it's large file and object data and if you if you have a if you know for your, for the listeners it's like if you have that need it's like you might have a petabyte of file and object data or 10 petabytes or 100 petabytes and your need to store it and protect it is not really driven by a compliance regulation it's like you know, how long do you need to keep patient records? Well, for the life of the patient, you know, there's some other thing dictating your storage time frame, And so in that paradigm, we see the use of tape a little differently. We see that we can actually start to do things like erasure and code objects across multiple tape systems and even across multiple tapes where the administrators or the, the users can actually leave the tapes in the library. You don't necessarily need to take them out of the library. They're not sitting at Iron Mountain. It's it's more of a an active archive, if you want to think of it that way, where the, the objects, the files are still accessible. They can still be retrieved. It's just that it's at a very, very low Cost point because we're using tape, right? We've kind of joked that it's like where we're going, and for us to be successful, it's like we're going to make it so easy to store data on tape that you don't even know it's tape, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and, that, and I think if we achieve that, I think that's really uh, w- that could be groundbreaking, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, it's like um, don't care where I put the data as long as you can we can bring it back when you need it, right? Now, wh- where are we sitting at now with tape? I, I haven't followed tape in a while. I, like I know the LTO numbers are continuing to rise. Are we at like eight or nine or 10 right now? Do you know that? Yeah,
1: we, we just announced um, LTO nine. Uh, so Quantum is one of the members of the LTO consortium and the, the consortium just announced LTO nine, I believe in September. So we're gonna begin shipping LTO nine tape drives uh, but, uh, by the end of the year. Um, our capacity per tape um at a native level is now up to 18 terabytes per tape. So we continue to, you know, like um like the hard drive roadmap, uh like the SSD and flash roadmap, I mean the tape technology roadmap has continued to, you know, improve tape capacities, et cetera. And I think that's one of the other things that's kind of makes it a lot easier in some ways to manage tape. I mean, if you're holding 18 terabytes of data on a single tape cartridge, you know, you just, you don't have to be moving as many tapes around, right? So um, yeah, so we just announced lto 9 and we are seeing renewed interest in tape in in really for two reasons. Uh, One is, you know, for these long-term forever archives, right, just kind of as the the low cost storage tier within a, a forever archive. And the second reason, as you said, is really for its air-gapped or um, uh, kind of offline property to protect against ransomware and, and other forms of cybercrime.
0: Yeah, I, I, I knew that. I can't go an episode without the word ransomware being mentioned. Um, it's, it's something that it's not about if, it's about when. It happens, right? So I I think it's a very effective uh, way to also, you know, have that other tool in your arsenal uh, from, you know, a thing like ransomware. And one thing that came to mind, Eric, was that um, I've I've heard the term that data is the new gold. Have you heard that one before? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Data is the new gold. I mean, anyway, keep keep going. But yeah, that is that's almost at the heart of this forever archive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what do you what do you think it will it will take for let's say CIOs to I guess figure out the value of their company's archive data? Um, like the value is really 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 important. You know what do you think it would take for them?
1: I think that we're starting to see some things in the last uh, you know I would say five years with the emerging adoption of things like AI and machine learning where companies are able to go index and catalog all of this digital data that they have in a way that they weren't really able to previously, you know? And I think that we're seeing examples, and I think we're just at the very forefront of this, by the way, but I think we're starting to see examples where companies if, if they have a cataloged and well-protected data repository or data lake or archive, they're able to extract value from that and use the data for new purposes and to kind of drive new revenue streams couple of examples of that, like in media and entertainment that we've seen, I mean, I'll I'll share with one again, going back to sports, just because I I kind of enjoy it. I think it's a fun industry to talk about. I mean, starting in April, there were no sports, you know, and I, I, I usually watch ESPN Sports Center most nights and some nights and, you know, ESPN had to go back to their archives and cut new things and find new things to put on air to drive, you know, advertising revenue in that. And that, that's a pretty kind of front and center example. I think in other industries, you know, I read something I thought was very interesting, which was, I mean, I'm going to get the stats a little bit wrong, but um, when, the, uh, when there was a, um, the last pandemic outbreak that was several years ago, there was some stat that was like, there were 100 genome sequences done in the first year To try to study that pandemic okay and it's like already with covid in you know six months there's been like one million done or something right and and again i don't have the exact numbers right but the point is there has been exponentially more analysis done against these big unstructured data sets than even four years ago and i think that's another interesting industry to think about like you know, if there's another pandemic at some point in the future, right, will will these research organizations and healthcare companies, you know, may they want to go back and pull some data from their COVID studies to maybe apply towards some new drug or some new learning. So I I, I think we're seeing different examples of this where companies are gonna find new ways to leverage the digital data that they have. Um, And and perhaps in business models and ways that we haven't even considered.
0: yet. Yeah, I I definitely uh, think that we are in exciting times right now, even though, you know, COVID-19 has happened and we're still in the middle of it. And hopefully we are on the the tail end of um, what it's done. Definitely around protecting data and understanding what the what the value of data is. You know, I think it's it's front and center now. Um, in all digital places or digital corners of the world since everyone, you know, needs the data in order to stay competitive. Now, this next question, it's going to be probably a, a deeper one. So I'm, I'm hoping you can go go a little, little deep with me. If, if not, then we can, um, we, we'll try it out. Let's, let's, let's see here. So uh, I have a scenario. I'm thinking, let, let's say that the, let's say the enterprise architect he sits down, or she sits down, with the CTO to discuss, let's say, how to architect a 100-year archive retention or system that was a modern, smart, intelligent, you know, system. You know, what do you think he or she would tell the CEO on on how to do that? Yeah,
1: I think the um,
0: the, the starting point for me would be
1: you know, I believe storing that data in an object format, you know, using some type of an object store software, I think that has a lot of advantages. Um, and that's really about, let's say object as a format, you know, being able to include metadata and tags within that object makes it easier to search, index, etc. I would then say you want to think about erasure encoding, but one of the really key considerations when you think about the value of this data and protecting it is, you want to follow that tried and true rule of data protection, which is the three two one rule. You want to have three copies of your data. You want to have it at at least two locations, right? Because you want to be protected against local disasters, right? And you want to have, you know, one of those copies be offsite and and uh, um, you know I, and and actually, right now we're also advocating that one of those copies should be offline, right? In the event that you get hit with a ransomware or malware attack. So that leads you to what we would call geo-spreading, right? You want to have a of encoding for this massive archive that can spread your data across multiple geographic sites. And I would think about building that on some combination of hard drive media and tape media. Uh, tape media is very reliable in terms of being able to store data for you know, upwards of 30 years, right? actually has very good property for that. It's very low power. It's very low acquisition cost. And so from that standpoint, that would be like the kind of blueprint or the basic building blocks of what a foundation looks like, right? Object store software with spread erasure encoding, combination of some hard drive storage, right? And then the bulk of it on a very low cost form of storage. And we, we think tape is well suited for that. Then you go to the next step, which is just having that be able to be indexed catalog, right? You need that archive to be usable. And, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, some of your background talking about like uh, IBM Spectrum Protect or, you know, Tivoli storage manager and, and, you know, some of the different mainstream backup applications, you know, for many of that to be able to retrieve a data or restore a file, it it requires IT involvement, right? This this is a little different. You know, you want an archive that could still be where you could still retrieve data, where a user could retrieve data. So I think you'd start by building that foundational piece and then start to think about okay, how how do you index it? How do you make sure it can be cataloged? Um and we can kind of help with all those kind of steps along mm-hmm. the way.
0: Is that is that like backup as a service or a more self-service type of um one hundred year archive, like the configuration.
1: What what we think about is not so much backup per se, but um, having it, having a catalog, having a browser, so that users can actually go find data in the archives, right? Ah, okay. And in a backup context, the backup application serves that role, right? It's kind of your backup catalog, right? So an administrator would go. F- if they needed to restore data from a backup set, they'd, they'd bring it back through the backup app. So we're talking about something a little different, maybe like an archive catalog or something like
0: that. Yeah, or a database. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think starting there and then, you know, the, the, some of the challenges that are going to emerge over time and I would expect through some of those conversations, I mean, these are some of the conversations we're having with our customers are, you know, how to migrate that data over decades. You know, what does that look like? You know, at, at what point do we start to think about things like, you know, synthetic DNA storage in the next decade? Does that become viable? You know, so we're we're looking at some pretty far out stuff that's uh, kind of interesting and cool, and um, I think it's a pretty exciting kind of a uh, challenge to go after.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I think the last time I actually worked with a tape, we were at LTO four or maybe five. Right. Yep. So, I, I remember there was a chart that was out there that showed like the roadmap of where, you know, LTO would end up and the different d- uh, densities and how much compression you can get, how much you can store, the performance, you know, all of those things. So, I haven't looked at one of those in a while, but um, it, it seems like that's still alive and, and well since uh, Quantum is part of the consortium. Yep.
1: Yeah. We've continued to progress the roadmap. Still a good business for us. And we think tape has a strong future. Y- you know, Quantum, the last few years, we've we've started to build out a lot of the components that would be required for this type of an architecture so uh, we have uh, object store software with uh, geo spread erasure encoding that's our active scale object store now we've got high speed file system storage with uh, data management capabilities we've got some basic data classification technology so we can actually classify data when it gets written into this type of a repository and um, so we're 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 starting to put a lot of the pieces together to you know we think be able to provide a leading architecture for this and um, yeah tape is certainly a part of it
0: now Eric does, does that classification software does that is that able to detect things like credit card numbers and social security numbers and things like that and to be able to determine you know hey this information uh, should not be stored you know in this location does it go that far
1: um, there is. Uh, Depending on how the administrator sets up the tagging, you can set up, you can kind of classify data into different, let's say, sets, I guess I would say. I'm not sure exactly on the credit card question, but uh, I I think there's ways to kind of classify, for example, sensitive data that needs to be treated one way versus, you you know, other types of data and things
0: like that. Well, um, yeah, this has been, you know, very informative for myself. Now I am up to speed on the latest LTO technology, and um, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. But I, I want to close out with the, the final gumbo question, and it's, it's not a techie question, um, and it's, it's just more of a, a general question that, you know, our listeners uh, enjoy, you know, hearing about. So that question is, what, what would you tell your 16-year-old year self, Eric, if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny? To secretly change my destiny, yeah.
1: You know, I, I don't know. I, I was, I've i been thinking about that a little bit. I, I think um, I kind of uh, stumbled into this career in storage and tech in sort of a roundabout way, and uh, I like where it's ending up, you know? I don't know that I... I don't know that I'd change too much. You'd, I'd, I'd probably say, you know, buy stock in a few companies, but uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is always a good one, right? Um, being able to fatten your pockets up, right, a little bit later on. So, um, absolutely, yeah, it's 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 been great having you on uh, Data Protection Gumbo, and I'm sure that the Gumbo listeners have uh, definitely walked away with a few value bombs and, and nuggets of information I, I know I have. Um, so it's definitely been a pleasure, Eric. And uh, until next time, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah,
1: thank you very much. And uh, if you don't mind, I mean, for any listeners out there, if you do want to learn more about what, what I've talked about, please go to our website. That's at uh, quantum.com. But yeah, Demetrius, really, really appreciated the uh, the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And, oh, one more thing. Um, is, is there any like social media handles that you know, if anyone wanted to reach out on social media, like Twitter or anything that you want to provide any of that.
1: Yeah. If you'd like to follow quantum on social media, you can follow us at, uh, on Twitter at quantum Corp and, um, on LinkedIn and, uh, on Facebook as well.
0: All right. Thanks, Eric. Have a great one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.